Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay and I am the founder of Vitality 40 Plus. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask, but unsure as to where to get the information. Hi everyone and welcome to another podcast. So today I am really pleased to be talking to not only a very good friend of mine, but my fellow, I should say my partner in crime really, in respect of the menopause. Uh, so Dr. Rebecca Harling has been a doctor for 17 years um, and has been studying women's health, particularly, for 12 years. Uh, Becky trained in Cardiff and has lived in Cornwall and came to Jersey in 2020. So firstly, welcome Becky to the podcast. Hi, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, great to be speaking to you on our official capacity rather than our unofficial capacity <laughs> as people have often got to know us as the Menopause Forum. <laughs> so today, what we thought we would do is start off with talking about, well, what we started talking about was about the menopause, perimenopause, um, and really what that means to women. You know, I sit and talk about it, so now I want to hear it from the doc. So to start us off, start. what is the menopause? Okay, well, that's a, a pretty good question, actually. Yes. Um, the menopause is this definition, which means that it's when your periods have ended. In fact, it's 12 months since your last period. But, you know, that really doesn't tell us very much about this time at all. And actually, when we're talking about the menopause, we're really thinking about that time before our periods stop, which we call the perimenopause, and also the time after, which is known as the postmenopause. Um, Basically, it's our body that's transitioning uh, to becoming infertile. Uh, but <laughs> you're making things... me sound old now. You're making <laughs> me sound old. I thought we weren't doing know, it. It's quite, it is quite a depressing uh, concept when <laughs> we think of it in those terms. But essentially, um, yeah, it's the hormone changes that are involved in that, and it's essentially not just about our periods stopping. So I think um, a good way of women being able to uh, appreciate and understand this is just by talking a little bit about our hormones. I'm not going to go into too much uh, science here, but essentially just explaining that um, essentially we have our hormones, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. We have many, many more, but again, we're just going to talk about these three and um, basically uh, with the menopause, uh, our ovaries, so from the age of about 45, our ovaries start to deteriorate again, not, uh, not the friendliest. Not old age thing, you see. Um, <laughs> which means that they start to produce less and less estrogen. And um, the key thing about estrogen is that it's a very important player in our bodies. We often think of it in terms of our fertility and our menstrual cycles, but actually estrogen plays a vital role in so many aspects of our uh, body's functioning, including things like regulating our cholesterol, maintaining our bone strength and promoting our hair growth, 
women's body temperature control and so so many more so essentially when our estrogen levels are um, uh, fluctuating and reducing uh, that's when we start to notice lots of symptoms uh, to do with this such as we start to get hot flushes and night sweats we get changes in our memory uh, we get joint pains uh we struggle to sleep yeah it's all sad. weight gain oh, uh, all I mean, sounding great here isn't it i mean the, the list goes on and <laughs> well, just you know to, just to pick up on a point there because i think it's really interesting um i mean it's you know everyone says the menopause and we always think of as the change and going through it our transforming into our older life kind of thing um i always I always experience this myself because i had a marina coil fitted after baby number two, so he's now 17. Um, so I never had periods at all. So the periods thing was completely and utterly like out of the window. So I never even knew, well, I didn't, I didn't even think about the menopause and that was only two years ago. So I really want to think about this, this is where I think menopause has now come up into its own. So we want to talk about some of these symptoms and we started talking on about estrogen and how what, what a role it plays in our body. But, how do um, we, us ladies, know or some of the symptoms that we'd be looking for if you particularly don't have that non-stopping of periods? Yeah, well, like we were just saying, so actually, you know, periods changing, um, you know, they can get shorter, they can get closer together, they can get further apart for some women who, as I said, don't have a marina coil. But yeah, periods changing is just a very small part of this story. And actually what we're really looking out for is all those other symptoms. And as I was saying, you know, they are very much to do with what estrogen's involved with controlling. So because estrogen controls our temperature, all of a sudden we're starting to get issues with night sweats and hot flushes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I said we're getting problems with joint pains, we're getting recurrent urine infections, and that's because estrogen's very, very important in our in the health of our vagina and our bladder so um you'll often find women will constantly be going to their gp thinking they've got a horrible urine infection and actually the gp will often be saying well you know the test is clear or equally they're given you know lots of antibiotics which they didn't really need um they'll be getting discomfort during sex and um, i said they'll be getting issues with brain fog um, I mean, there is a whole list of symptoms, 34 of them all together. And, you know, it can go Quite chronic, really, on, isn't it? 34 and symptoms. And, and isn't it interesting that, I mean, uh, you're a bit younger than I am, but I mean, I'm, I'm even now I go around preaching the good word, you know, the M word. How many women are still uh, don't know some of those symptoms? And, and, and I'm not saying that detrimentally because I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this two and a half years ago. So, I mean, you've mentioned these ones. I mean, what other ones do you see in the surgery that people, when people come in that probably haven't related to the physical symptoms, more psychological? Yeah, no, certainly. And I think it's really important to stress that because actually mood changes is one of the first symptoms of the menopause. So we tend to find that women get increasingly irritable. You know, they'll come and tell me that normally they're the calmest person, but all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> even if they're just given a funny look, you know, it will really um, make them react in a super extreme way. And equally, lots of women get really anxious. And again, so the, these are very uh, early changes, which, you know, can even be quite subtle at the time. And, you know, these changes are happening when women 
they're you know 45 onwards they're living busy lives they've got careers they're maybe raising children got relationship issues there's so many they'll put it down to being so many other different causes for these mood changes but actually it's probably the very first um sign that they're going through the perimenopause you know and that 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 i think is so important to get over to people and you know you and i have both attended um, health fairs where we, we just literally for three days talked non-stop to women um, who this was probably the first time that they'd had a sort of menopause people on the on the stand to be able to talk to them and some of the and some of the issues that we came up with and I suppose this is the the one of the forums if you wanted to talk about that the feeling of sadness um, mm-hmm. which of course and we've talked anxiety which can lead on to depression and that's something that I really wanted to talk to you about about mm-hmm. the amount of women that we know that have come to you as a doctor, as well as to other GPs, where they're saying they're very depressed and, and, mm. and are being handed out antidepressants. Mm. I think that's really difficult being a GP as well. Um, and they can see how women are giving antidepressants because actually, uh, and don't forget, you normally have a very short consultation, 10 minutes is the norm. If you're lucky, you might get 15 minutes. You know, and if women come to you and literally their symptoms that they tell you are all about depression, then it's quite hard for, for you to realise that actually it could be the perimenopause. It's only if you really sort of sit down and have a bit more time to sort of ask about other symptoms, will you possibly get to realise that actually there's more going on here and antidepressants aren't going to be the answer. And actually, you know, it's it's their hormones that that probably need rebalancing. So again, now we've talked about these symptoms and uh, you know, now we're all alert that we may, be, we may be counting the numbers of how many, I reckon we should be given checklists. I actually think we should do this with GPs, actually design a checklist plan where you could say, I mean, I know that Louise Newson, you know, our guru doctor had the uh, balance app, but that we have a physical symptom, you can go, have you, have you uh, got four or more of these symptoms? And you can sort of like tick the box. So then, once we start to realize, I think, oh, might be having a problem, there might be an issue, then how are we actually going to know? Mm. I mean, just going back to that point about the doctors, I think uh, it's quite a tricky one because actually, obviously, uh, the kind of HRT, et cetera, and we'll talk about this more going on, you know, there's been a bit of history there. So equally doctors, there's been a bit of fear. And I think only now are we beginning to see more education about the menopause because I think there's been lots of reports in the press saying that you know at medical school doctors aren't given um, teaching on menopause um, and as I said due to that lack of time as well for GP consultations so uh, there's a lot of his- there's definitely a lot of history which has meant that probably in the past women haven't necessarily been given the best deal but as a, it's so multifactorial um, really there's no one party to blame but I think the key point is is that as you said Louise Newson has done some amazing um, online tutorials and support for doctors so really uh, you know every doctor um, should should be sort of interested in this and, and be able to give yeah, the right I, I totally agree but, to be honest you know I mean I was very fortunate that um, well fortunate I mean you know my my little story about how I was diagnosed with the menopause um, and and because I have an underactive thyroid I was having a routine blood test when 
I was told, oh, by the way, you're going for the menopause. But, I, you know, we know that that really isn't well. Perhaps I'll actually let me turn that and ask you, Becky, is this is this a, a sure way of being able to be told whether or not you're going through? <laughs> well, you know my answer. To that, <laughs> I hate this story. Um, yeah, blood tests for the menopause, like it's the bane of my life. Uh, I think you was very fortunate, is all I can say. Yeah. That you know you had a blood test and all of a sudden you're told you're going through the menopause. I'm like, girl, that was lucky your hormones yeah. at that time must have just been uh, doing the right thing um so yeah so the guidelines are any woman who's over 45 with typical menopause symptoms does not need to have a blood test to diagnose the menopause and the key thing is is that it's all to do when we're going through the menopause our our hormone levels are constantly fluctuating so the estrogen level is just all over the place and this is why people's symptoms are also all over the place so you know with these symptoms as we said they can be subtle they can uh one minute you can be having hot flushes and night sweats and then they may disappear for several months and and not even return or you get new symptoms therefore when you're doing a blood test you know we we're going to get a result which we're not really going to know what to do with so unless it is super low uh, and most of the time it isn't you know women are getting told that they're not going through the menopause yeah. whereas actually it's just the fact that that blood test was just done at that one time and so I well not just me but the British Menopause Society and NICE guidelines definitely feel that blood tests are just not helpful and if anything they can do more harm than good because women are being told it's not the it's not the menopause when actually is. Whereas for you, you you got you had a kind of lucky outcome in, in some ways. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, again, I've spoken to a few people, and they say the doctor says to them, their bloods are normal. Mm, now exactly. I'm like I'm like well, uh, well they say to me, um, normal. Do you know, Trudy? What do you call normal? I'm like. <laughs> I'm not the blood, I'm not the doctor, but actually that's a question I'm going to throw over to you. <laughs> what does normal mean? I mean, what? Yeah, well, no, well, that's just the whole point, really. They've been told that their, you know, that their estrogen level is at that time that that test was taken in the normal range. But our estrogen levels are fluctuating throughout the month anyway with our menstrual cycle. So we, as doctors, do get ranges for each kind of phase in the menstrual cycle um and as i said you know that's it women are being told they've got a normal result because it has appeared normal at that time but it doesn't mean to say that it's not the perimenopause so, yeah. okay so we know now so we know we're going to do our tick box and say right so if we have four or more symptoms right we and we're aged over 45 that doesn't seem so generic we could be perimenopausal we also know that we know the blood test isn't going to work so I come to the doctor and I go, oh, I come to you, Becky, and I go, right, well, actually, I did come to you. <laughs> I did have this <laughs> conversation with you. That's actually not even, that's not even amusing because I did have this with you and say, right, okay, uh, I've got these symptoms. Um, I'm 51. Um, now what? Because I don't actually, I mean, my, my primary one was insomnia. I mean, mm -hmm. years of not sleeping, right? Not, not necessarily not going to sleep, but the waking up at three mm -hmm. and then, being alert and then not being able to go back to sleep, which of course then swings itself into lots of things, weight gain, making the wrong choice of food, not wanting to exercise, mm -hmm. you know, motivation low. 
clarity, not working the best of my ability. So then what? So what are we going to do? What, what are you going to I know what you said to me, but <laughs> what what do you what would you then advise? For a, yeah, well, I said the key thing is definitely spending lots of time to find out what those symptoms are for that woman. And you know, as I said, every woman's affected completely differently. There is some common symptoms which you know you could say the majority of women experience. And I would definitely say your insomnia that you experienced is common, and it's a real struggle. So, I mean, the key thing, and I always really highly stress this, is actually looking at people's lifestyles. So, as we said, you know, these changes are happening when we are very busy and um, maybe not taking so much care of ourselves as what we should be. So it's really important, I feel, that women realise that, you know, carrying some excess weight drinking too much and that's probably because you're just trying to you know ease some of that stress of of the day uh and smoking those three things definitely evidence has shown that they definitely make what we call vasomotor symptoms worse so vasomotor symptoms are essentially the hot flushes the night sweats the insomnia the palpitations you know some of the real big symptoms which make people feel awful essentially so um so that's some some essential take-home points and then you know actually doing some practical things like thinking about the clothes we're wearing so you know you should be wearing cotton layers you should be avoiding spicy food you should really cut down on your caffeine um there's lots of sort of herbal and over-the-counter remedies out there i mean masses of them uh you've just got to be super careful about these because essentially there isn't really very much evidence well there's no evidence really that anything really works red clover which can be bought in tablet form is probably the only herbal preparation that has any type of evidence whatsoever um, and then there's sort of alternative therapies, which, you know, CBT, so that's cognitive behavioral therapy for women that are really struggling with anxiety and the mood changes. This is potentially a route to go down. Um, there's aromatherapy, acupuncture, homeopathy. Again, not so much evidence that they're going to work, but uh, or if they do work, they can maybe work for about six months. But, you know, for some women, that's that's a route that they would like to try and then there's things so kind of for the vaginal symptoms the discomfort during sex recurrent UTIs you can use um very specific uh female vaginal lubricants which can really help with that can you get that now over the counter now because it's obviously was the the new route yeah so they're called they generally come as the brand sort of yes or silk um and you can just go and buy those over the counter and you know in some areas those can also be prescribed as well so yeah those are available i mean just going back on some of those um, some of the the things you know obviously i'm very passionate about the holistic lifestyle and things and you know it's it's interesting because one of the things that you know you and i have talked about um and I know we'll start, we'll touch on HRT now, because obviously I know, I'm sure anybody listening to this will be going, oh, when are they going to talk about HRT? When are they going to talk? I mean, I can't, the amount of questions I probably get, and I'm like, really? Um, but I, I suppose there's two things. One, um, HRT of what we'll just talk about, but obviously the risks of breast cancer, um, and also then the links of actually the reduced link 
between HRT and breast cancer is so significant when compared to the factors that you've already mentioned, like obesity, um, alcohol. And I know that you've got that brilliant chart <laughs> that, um, in fact, I've managed to crib off you because I have found it. Um, but it is a British Menopausal Society um, chart where, where it actually shows how, ma how many times over it would be if you were obese, i.e. over with a BMI of 25. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that this is, and obviously now I'll throw the ball back over to you about HRT. Yeah, so we'll talk about a bit more about that. But yeah, that, you know, lifestyle, as you said, is massive risk factors, not just for breast cancer, but all sorts of cancers, heart disease, diabetes. So actually, when I'm talking to women, um, during this time, it's really amazing opportunity for me as a doctor to look at their overall health and, you know, check their blood pressure, check their weight, talk about their lifestyle. And, you know, as well as talking about their menopause symptoms, sort of hopefully, you know, sort of signpost them in the right direction to making sort of general health changes. So, yeah, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, this essentially is the gold standard for menopause symptoms, and it's what has got the most evidence that it works. Um, you, you know, HRT has actually had quite a turbulent past. Uh, 20 years ago, there was about 20% of US women took HRT, but definitely nowadays we know that there's only about 10% of women in the UK taking HRT. So you could say, you know, what has happened? What, why, why, don't, why don't many women take HRT? And again, there's a couple of reasons why. So one is the fact that, as we've already discussed, lots of women don't recognize their symptoms of the menopause. Uh, therefore, they don't seek help for them or they don't think their symptoms are bad enough to need HRT. Uh, the second reason is very much to do with um, a study that was done 20 years ago now. So in um, 2002, the Women's Health Initiative study. Uh, and unfortunately, some preliminary data was released to the press, uh, which resulted in headlines uh, saying, you know, uh, HRT, um, is going to kill you. HRT causes breast cancer. And essentially, yes, this study is show that HRT causes breast cancer, heart disease, and strokes. However, we have now moved on. And uh, during all of these years, uh, this study has been very much looked into and other studies, uh, especially Danish and one from Finland have been done. And they have basically essentially showed that um, HRT does not increase the risk of breast cancer deaths. So it's very different between diagnosis and death by breast cancer. Heart disease wise is quite interesting because we have actually found that if HRT has started within 10 years of the menopause or under the age of 60, it is actually uh, beneficial for heart disease. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, that's and the thing you know, a, a, a real pro plus for, for HRT. Yeah, no, amazing. Yeah. And in terms of strokes, uh, actually how we use HRT, which again, I will come on to, if we give it via the skin, then there is no increased risk of strokes. 
So this study, the Women's Health Initiative, um, it was kind of now being thought of actually being not the best type of study because generally it used older women. So the average age of the women in this study was 63. And if we're thinking nowadays, you know, the women we're starting on HRT are generally mid 40s going into, you know, their early 50s. Um, they already were starting off with a history of obesity and heart disease and um, they were using an older more uh, synthetic higher dose type of HRT which they took as a tablet by mouth. And that's so, what some of the ladies say about the horse's urine or the mare's urine. Yeah um, that's right. That seems to be a real that's... old thing that's come out of that and yeah. uh, yeah yeah that's right so yeah so that that was a really challenging time actually and um consequently overnight women stopped taking their hrt and doctors stopped prescribing it so uh you can, we can see why and we can see why you know gps have been fearful because constantly we were sent you know reports uh, advising us to be reviewing women's hrt and and all the rest of it whereas actually now as i said a lot of it was um, not really correct at that time. So you could say HRT is very different now um, uh, as everything advances, HRT has advanced as well. So we nowadays very much use hormones which are identical to those um, that our body makes ourselves. So they actually come from a root vegetable called the yam. Uh, and um, this, uh, this covers the estrogen and the progesterone component. So I, I probably should just mention that HRT, the main player which helps with all those symptoms is the estrogen, okay? But if you have a womb, a uterus, i.e. you've not had a hysterectomy, you need to have some progesterone to protect your womb lining from the effects of the estrogen because one of the things estrogen does for all of us at any age is it thickens the womb lining um, and therefore this can't be allowed to just get thicker and thicker and thicker and that's why you have the progesterone. So the, the HRT we use, estrogen progesterone, we can get from this root vegetable called the yam, and it's more identical to what our body would naturally make. Consequently, um, the risks which are with this type of HRT are a lot less. So we commonly give estrogen in the form of sprays or patches uh, or gels, uh, and therefore this um, giving estrogen this way, as I mentioned before, means that there isn't any increased risk of clots. So that's clots which can affect the brain and cause a stroke, or blood clots that can, you know, affect the lungs and legs, causing, you know, embolisms and deep brain thrombosis. So that's that mean, would that mean, Becky, that if people have had a this is a general question, actually, hmm. if people have a family history of blood clots, yeah, could they still go on to the gel then because of the yeah. vitamin I love I love yeah. I mean, yeah. and even if they've had a history of clots themselves it depends if they've got a very specific underlying blood clotting disorder yeah yeah under okay. a hematologist yeah you know we would have a bit more caution about that but actually in general um yeah it does mean that um yeah people can have it and that's because 
when estrogen, um, well, when estrogen is given by the skin, it avoids the liver, and the liver is very yeah. much involved with blood, uh, our blood clotting factors, um, and so that's why it's so much safer. That's it. That's interesting, actually, because I, I've been um, part of a, a group which have been discussing this, and it's a lot of, you know, we have to be so careful as women when we all come together because some things work, as you have often told me. Uh, it's all an individual. Um, prescriptive uh, field for uh, menopause solutions. One one solution does not fit all. And I'm part of this group. I suppose one of the things that I've been talking about is, you know, look, I love the gel. I found the gel work gelled for me. Applicant. I don't particularly like the sticky hands and the messy legs, and I have to walk around like you know, crap, <laughs> waiting for it to dry. But however, the issue is, is that um, you know, I I know it works, and that's all that that makes me that makes me yeah. sleep better. Perfect. Yeah. And it's perfect. But um, interesting that when we started discussing this the other day on a group, people saying, oh, no, no, I'm not doing the gel. I do the patches. And it was still very topical. Then you start getting what I would call the, um, no, no, I'm on the tablets. Um, right. yeah, are, I mean, is that still the body identical? Um, when the, if, you, if you're taking HRT in the form of, of a tablet, Bill. It's interesting that actually, so yeah, I mean, as tablets, those are very traditional type of HRT mm -hmm. and, and there's been many different types, even of the tablets. Um, and the, in general, we've definitely limited the type of tablets that we use now. And um, I, I would say that there's only a couple of brands even that we would use and that's because we think those are the safest type of tablets in in terms of the hormone that's in them so um in terms of the breast cancer risk um essentially to do with the progestion component so there's a very new brand of tablet which contains a body identical type of estrogen oh, okay. uh, but um, and that's only it's it's only been available probably in the past six months and I don't know if it's in all areas I haven't even been prescribing that in Jersey yet at this time um, the key thing it's still a tablet so the estrogen is still going to be by going via the liver so there is still going to be that slightly increased risk of blood clots um, which I said you don't get when you're using estrogen, you know, through the skin. So, but it doesn't mean to say that tablets should just be banned and not exist. Um, I think it, it, again, every woman should be able to have a choice. And I think, uh, you know, we, what we need to do and what we do as doctors is assess the risk for that lady. So if that lady, you know, the things that increase our risk of having a PE or a DVT is things like, you know, being overweight and smoking, yes, having yeah. a lifestyle, Active, drinking yeah. too much alcohol, you know, are typical things. So if, you know, if a lady came along to me and, and, you know, she had a BMI of 35 and she smoked 20 a day and she really wanted to have, you know, HRT in a combined tablet, yeah. I would really sort of encourage against it, but, you know, just because of that risk of, of blood clots, really. But I said, you know, for another woman who maybe didn't have any of those risk factors, then actually, as long as you've given them enough information, you know, there wouldn't be a reason why not. But I tend to just tell people and generally people tend to choose the lowest risk option um, is what I tend to find. And um, I mean, and one of the things I mean, you know, we've talked about um, heart disease, which is 
women's number one killer. Um, but, you know, I suppose two of the other conditions that we could mention here where there is, um, you know, an association, or we know that there's an Eastern uh, relationship with it, is obviously osteoporosis and dementia. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, perhaps you just want to sort of highlight any advantages of taking. Yeah, this, this no, program. definitely. So one of the, what actually came out of the Women's Health Initiative study 20 years ago was the fact that HRT did have some advantages, although of course the press is ne was never gonna run that story. <laughs> um, so actually that is very much due with the fact that there is advantages. So you know, in terms of preventing osteoporosis, um, we've already talked about actually reducing cholesterol and therefore improving um, and limiting um, heart disease. Um, yeah, more recently, there's some studies, it's still a bit doubtful about Alzheimer's dementia. Um, we're getting mixed reports, but okay. it's certainly possible. Um, and same for bowel cancer, actually, is that it might be protective for bowel cancer. Um, so these are all things that's still being worked on and studied. And so we're going to watch this space. No, uh, good. Then, it's good to know, isn't it? Because I think people, I, I, I'm still, I, I mean, I'm still amazed. I mean, we talked about stats earlier, you know, 12% of women or only 12% of women are on HRT. And I, um, I'm still gobsmacked by that. I know, I know that we say that HRT isn't for everybody, um, but we, I also appreciate that how many women are suffering. They may not, they may suffer a little bit. They may suffer a lot and may not realise it. Um, I had, I didn't actually tell you this earlier, but I had a message yesterday from a friend of mine who's an ex-Jersey friend, but who now lives in the Whitson Island, Whitsunday Islands in Australia. And she really? follow, I know, she actually does, she's a yoga teacher out there and does retreats. I'm saying, yeah, okay, I'll sort something out. <laughs> um, but she said, look, I really need some help with the menopause. I just have no idea what's going, what is happening to me? Why have I got a bloated belly? I'm eating a, nearly a vegetarian, but I'm fasting. <laughs> I'm fasting a lot. I'm not putting in anywhere near what I think I should be putting in. And yet I've still got a bloating belly. And this is somebody who like, so of course, we've sat there and talked about all these issues about, you know, trying to keep blood sugar levels. And, and, and we'll be talking about that in another, in another podcast, uh, mm -hmm. blood sugar levels in there. But, but it amazed me that when I talked about HRT, I said, man, have you not gone and talked about HRT? And she was very much like, no, no, because it's not safe. And I'm like, oh, no don't say that don't say that and then I told her some of the things that we'd spoken about at the forum and she and I started to give her a few slides of information and I will be sending her a podcast of today's conversation uh -huh. you go go to your doctor and so I mean the moral of that story is that you know it doesn't matter where you are in the world there still seems to be this underlying fear and you know uh, of HRT and I think you know you've done amazingly well to say today that it really, the fear was unfounded. Media have really hyped that up. And it's the one thing, as we know, and I was reading this, um, I was listening to my podcast the other day about, you know, how the brain functions and how the brain always remembers bad news. That's why the news and journals, and there was a great article in the Times, not the Times Journal, but Time magazine, that said they'd rather report bad headlines because they would always sell more copies. Yeah, and, and it kind of just sums up the HRT scandal that, yeah. you know, everybody went, HRT, no, we can't have it. We can't come off it. 
you're not allowed on it after five years. You know, you were, you were as a GP, then not being able to do that. Yeah, um, and, and I suppose that's the one thing that we try to say that, you know, look, HRT may not be for everybody. It's not about, you know, sort of making sure everybody gets on it, but giving women um, the option, um, the, the knowledge, um, so that they've got the information that they can then go and digest or read up or, you know, whatever, so that they can then come to the GP and say, look, this is it. And, and we know that, you know, interesting, you said about the GPs um, being trying to do more CPD to be able to maybe um, widen, I'm trying to be very tactful here, uh, to widen their education. <laughs> I know that's not normally my style, uh, but widen the education on women's health issues, because then at least they wouldn't look at that, you know, that that sort of two, that little small back barrier and be able to look at everything in, um, you know, as yeah. a as a package. Yeah, yeah. I think, and again, if women ourselves are educated and, you know, like you were saying to your friend in Australia, giving her the information, I think women can then come uh, or go and see their doctors and sort of be armed with that and therefore easily get into that conversation about it, which I think helps sort of both parties in, in lots of ways. I suppose just to um, just to sort of touch a bit more on the, the sort of HRT we use nowadays and, and the risks, and we've talked about the benefits and we've said that we're using this body identical HRT, but just to sort of touch about the breast cancer business, because again, that is what every woman's fear is, is of breast cancer. And that's why there's still people like your friend who are scared. Um, and women come see me in my clinic and they'll often say that they haven't told their mums that they are coming to see me to talk about the menopause and HRT because their mums were that generation who probably had started yes. HRT, all of this set off and, you know, and, and they still um, are very frightened of it. Um, so essentially, I mean, the, 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 um, progestion that we use from the yam we call it micronized progesterone and um and essentially we know that we can definitely use that for up to five years with no increased risk of breast cancer so as a woman uh and getting older and uh, all the rest of it we are at risk of breast cancer anyway so it's not going to change that but it's not going to give you any added risk of it um, after that time, then there is going to be a small increased risk. And with other types of progestogens that we use for HRT, especially more of the synthetic ones, there is a slightly increased risk as well. But these risks are very small numbers. Um, and as you touched on earlier, the, the big thing about uh, breast cancer is actually all our other lifestyle risks. So, um, drinking a glass of wine every night uh, so that let's say that takes us up to our 14 units a week which is what is allowed as women uh, <laughs> is actually a bigger risk for breast cancer than being on HRT and you know I think uh, a lot of women that I see are drinking those amounts and I think that helps put it into perspective and you touched about you know being obese so BMI of more than 
30, this hugely increases your risk of breast cancer when you're looking on the charts, which you was talking about, which uh, looks at our risk of breast cancer um, in a thousand women. Uh, so yeah, so when I see a lady and we're talking about all of this, I always show these ladies, it's actually from the Women's Health Concern, the chart, you know, looking at the risk of smoking and drinking alcohol and our weight and actually doing two and a half hours of exercise a week significantly helps reduce our risk of breast cancer um so and that's great you know because in fact from the holistic lifestyle actually two and a half hours which is what we say if i'm not correct if i'm not there it's 35 minutes 40 minutes a day and i'm always saying right you know you need to go for a walk do something, go out in the mornings, get your fresh air, get yeah. out, take mm. take that break at lunchtime. So if you're listening at this lunchtime, I hope you've got pod, your earphones in and you're listening to this because that's what's really important. Mm -hmm. um, Becky, I, do you know we could sit here and talk about this <laughs> all day as we would normally? Um, just to sort of end up, um, before I see the final thing, um, I'd like, I didn't warn you about this, by the way. Um, I'd like you to give me three tips, three take-home tips. It's always the reason you use this thing, but I do like it. Three take-home tips for whoever is listening to this today. Oh, gosh, I don't know how I can reduce it into three. <laughs> um, I, well, mainly because I haven't mentioned this, but I, I think one take-home tip is to realise that no one is too young to experience the menopause as well. Um, so I'm saying this because some people do suffer from a premature menopause um, and some people have had certain medical treatments which has forced an early menopause onto them. So um, people just need to be aware of that. So don't ever think that you, you are too young. Uh, you may have to do another session on that suffering. one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, or maybe even, you know, some of those women who are still really struggling with their night sweats and hot flushes in their, in their 60s, you know, um, it doesn't mean to say that you have to, uh, you know, put up with this. Um, nowadays, we are feeling more comfortable about people staying on their HRT for longer. Uh, a second take home point is probably just, I just think, you know, there's now lots of resources out there. As you mentioned, there's apps that women can use to help them track their symptoms to, you know, help them sort of appreciate what's going on with their bodies. So, you know, use all these things and, and seek help, essentially. Talk to your girlfriends, uh, talk to your, your mums, because often, yes. you know, we follow our mum yeah. with, with the age of when we will go through the menopause um and the third thing is is to um is that yeah you you don't you don't need to suffer there's lots of options available to actually help you and and you know that's not just hrt there's actually other medical treatments because not everyone can take hrt which you know it's only a very small minority who can't such as breast cancer sufferers but you know there is other options for those women even. So it doesn't mean to say that um, they're stuck. So it essentially is just if, if, if you feel you're going through this and uh, if you're not sure even, then um, definitely seek help and um, yeah. I think 
you know that I mean that's great I mean I, I'll just add I'll add a, a little tip from my holistic thing to say we've talked about um, we've talked about the holistic lifestyle and um, I do find that when you're I'm talking to so many different women of different not different women but women of different ages um, about this you know if you are pre-menopause i.e before the age of 40 just say 43 um, you know start thinking about getting that making sure you are the best version of you physically um mm. we know that you know a lot of people may think they're overweight well if you are and you want to do something about it do it then look after yourself because it is so much more harder as we get older we don't have that so much of a metabolism and fire so i would really my little tip to add to yours is you know start looking after yourself pre-menopause and get mm. yourself ready yeah massively yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, it was such an easy session for me to do on this one, but always great as ever. Um, mm -hmm. For those in Jersey that might be listening to this, uh, Becky and I do monthly menopause forums, which um, are normally based in St. Helia. Um, and anybody is invited. That's normally you can follow us on our Facebook page. And anybody who's not in Jersey can also follow us on our Facebook page, uh, the Menopause Forum. Um, but firstly, just to say thank you so much, Becky, for coming. I'm sure I will be talking to you uh, again. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I'm sure um, you will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah. mm -hmm. cheers. See you. Bye. For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website www.vitality40plus.com Thanks for listening!